Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing to start each of the different messages of this series with a different Jeopardy category. This week's category is Divine Destinations. And our clue is, Methodist founder John Wesley's ship was nearly destroyed by a storm when he was sailing to this new American colony. Any guesses? You can shout it out. It has to be in the form of a question. What is Georgia? Okay, good. Very good. What is Georgia? That's exactly right. Named after the king at the time, George, and I don't know if they ever figured out to regret that. It was January 25th of 1736 when Wesley wrote in his journal, in the midst of the psalm which began their service, the storm raged, splitting the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterward, weren't you afraid? He answered, no, thank God. I asked, but weren't the women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. Retired Lieutenant Commander Tammy Jo Schultz was one of the U.S. Navy's first female fighter pilots. And during her seven years of service, she received medals and several awards, including the National Defense Service Medal, Expert Pistol Marksmanship, and the Navy and Marine Corps Service Medal twice. She also happens to be a Sunday school teacher and a volunteer with at-risk children. And we never really heard of her, despite her heroism, until Tammy successfully landed a Southwest Airlines flight at Philadelphia International Airport following a tragic engine malfunction in April of 2018. Now, news reports replayed some of her interaction with the tower, and if you listen to her tenor and demeanor when she's interacting with ground control, you could barely tell that she is piloting an aircraft in the middle of a horrible emergency. She would go on to say that she's just doing her job. The passengers on the plane would say that she did it with an exceptional calm under the circumstances, and her calm for them was contagious. What gives somebody peace like that? Was it her extensive combat training? Was it her Christian faith, maybe a mixture of the two? There's a pretty good chance that even this seasoned pilot was scared. But her ability to keep her anxieties in check helped a whole flight that was filled with moms and dads and daughters and sons and friends and neighbors keep their cool as well. 
We see that kind of calm resolve in Jesus when he and his friends get stuck in an emergency situation as well. And that takes us to our first lesson. Jesus cares deeply. He's just not stressed about it. Jesus cares deeply. He's just not stressed about it. Verse 23, Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with the disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. We see keep people who keep their cool in tough situations maybe is a bit robotic, or perhaps we think that they don't understand the gravity of the situation in ways that feel helpful to us. And oftentimes in retrospect, if they handle themselves well during crisis situations, we'll call those people heroic. Panic is not tough. When things are going badly, it's pretty simple to imagine the worst-case scenarios and to let our minds wander to the most harrowing outcomes imaginable. And since misery loves company, of course we'll happily share our doomed fantasy with anyone who will listen so that we don't have to be alone in our anxieties. These things tend to spiral up and build drama. So when we're distressed, we don't want to be alone. We want others to share in our experience. In fact, we tend to be a little evangelical with our worries sometimes. The concerns can range anywhere from full-on emergencies to ongoing health concerns to simple resistance to change. Once we laser in on something and we let it stir our anxieties, we can lock into it like a pit bull and not let go until the worst happens or, in some cases, no major devastating outcomes occur. Our panic doesn't seem to change the situation one way or the other. Now, sometimes we just want Jesus to join us in our panic, but panic is not Jesus' style. Sometimes when we see something that scares us, our goal is to make the most noise, but that's not Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal is to make the greatest difference. He had serious confidence in the Father's timing, and so Jesus could nap during a very stormy boat ride. He would get tossed, he would probably get soaked, but he knew that he would survive, partly because he wasn't going to save us from our sins by shipwreck. That was not in the cards for Jesus' life. So see, our panic, our fears, can often boil down to simple doubt. We see that Jesus isn't reacting to our situation in a way that we think is equal to our concern, and so we might doubt that he loves us or cares for us or our situation. But it's doubt that would feed that fear. Realistically, if we are panicked and Jesus is napping, there's a pretty good chance that Jesus is not the one who is doing it wrong. If we're panicked and Jesus is napping, there's a pretty good chance he's not the one who's doing it wrong. We get to catch some perspective. If Jesus doesn't see the need to get worked into a frenzy to help bring peace and justice to our fearful circumstances, how can we shape our response then to be more like Jesus? Maybe it's not by inviting him to our anxiety, but by receiving his invitation out of the overwhelming weight of our fears. And that takes us to our second lesson. Let Christ's peace be more contagious than our anxiety. Let Christ's peace be more contagious than our anxiety. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I used to be a roller coaster guy until I started facing some of that, uh, you know, advancing age issue of inner ear issues. How many of you are or used to be a roller coaster person? Loved roller coasters, but I was not always a roller coaster. It took me a while to get to that point. 
I was fairly sure I wasn't going to die on a roller coaster, but I was not sure enough to get on to one of those things. I would work myself up into a dizzying sweat over my fears and talk myself out of getting onto a roller coaster again and again. And eventually, when I was a grade schooler who was tagging along as my mother chaperoned a, a French club trip for a middle school group, we went up to Great America in Gurney. And I reluctantly joined another adult chaperone who was a longtime family friend on a roller coaster called The Wizard. And if you've ever encountered the wizard, Jim Craig is pumping his fist. Yes, yeah, the wizard is the simplest, least scary roller coaster of all time this side of a county fair, all right? And so this chaperone was somebody who was rational, longtime friend. I trusted her, and she kept cool while I was in line, made sure I got on the cart first so that she could, you know, like block me in in case I had an inclination to jump off last minute. And her calm presence, which was actually more like enthusiasm because she loved roller coasters, helped me to know that I was going to be okay, or at least that I was going to die with a friend, which is not nothing. And so we rode for all of the two minutes that it took to go up and quickly down the spiral of the wizard, and I went from white knuckle to woo-hoo really fairly quickly. My roller coaster fears dissipated. And I actually really enjoyed it, and it led to me being able to go on all these other adventurous roller coasters, far more adventurous than the wizard. Now, in Edwin Friedman's book called Failure of Nerve, which is subtitled Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix, he talks about how organizations can get paralyzed by the practice of a harmful sort of empathy. The most anxious and fearful in the organization become the default authority of the organization. And here's how. They share their fears, they express their anxieties, and those nervous opinions become the power that rules the room. When permitted, those who are most anxious can put the brakes on the mission of an organization because this harmful sense of empathy sacrifices fruitfulness to avoid hurting those who are least courageous. Fear is rewarded, and enterprise is thwarted, and that dynamic alone changes the very nature of the group. In this passage that we're reading from this morning, the disciples were crying out to Jesus in fear. They were terrified by the storm, and they wanted Jesus to stop it, whatever it took to stop it. They didn't ask about the mission that would lead them to brave this storm in the first place. They were sure that their comfort trumped that. They didn't ask Jesus why he was able to have so much peace. They were certain it was because he simply didn't care. And if they had their way, then they would have been safe, but they would have missed out on a very important life-saving mission. They would have missed out on a faith lesson, and they would have missed the evidence of the true and full identity of their rabbi. How often are we like those disciples in the boat? We're on the way to undertake an important mission, discover an important faith lesson, or find out more about the true nature of Jesus. And once we face some sort of storm, we're stilled. We encounter winds and waves that make us feel threatened. And instead of asking if the mission is worth the storm, or if the lesson to be found is found in the wind and waves, we just want Jesus to freak out with us and stop the ride. We ask him to return us to our regularly scheduled, comfortable programming, and when we do that, 
our fears end up running the agenda instead of Jesus. There was a song that came out many years ago about this story from Scripture. And the chorus of the song ended with, Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. I think that's what we can expect. Jesus calms one storm or another. He'll calm the storm that's raging around us, or he'll calm the storm that is raging within us. So if we notice that Jesus doesn't seem to be calming the storm that's raging around us, maybe his goal is to plant a greater peace within us, and peace that can endure difficulty. A mature peace that keeps our eyes on the purpose of Christ in our lives to shape us more and more into that divine image, to make us ultimately more like Jesus, and to let us experience greater love and show greater love. And sometimes that feels a bit like a roller coaster. And so what is our roller coaster? What is your roller coaster? Do you know that Jesus is strapped into this ride alongside of you? Maybe he's taking a nap while you're being whipped around on some twists and turns. And it's not because he doesn't care, but because he's hoping that you will catch his calm. How can he help you approach that fear and not back out? How can the calm and peace of Jesus spread to our anxious hearts? He's trustworthy. His plans for us are for his glory and for our good. It won't always be free from hurt and hardship, but we also won't go without Jesus. He'll be with us. How can we let his presence, his peace, catch in our lives so maybe it can catch in the lives of others? I've got a bit of an idea of how from this morning's text. That's our third lesson. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? they asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I think a lot of the reason Jesus kept his composure in this situation is because he knew his destination. He knew what he was getting into. He was on his way to meet a man who was possessed with a, a legion, with a whole army of demons at Gerasenes. This man was desperate for liberty and healing. And apart from Jesus, that liberty and healing was not coming. Jesus was determined to bring healing to this man who was out of his mind with torment, who was chained down for his own safety, and who harmed himself while living among the tombs. Jesus was on a rescue mission, and he was not going to let a little wind and rain stop him. I think that's one of the reasons why we get afraid. We aren't always sure of our why. We can probably explain why we would be fearful, but can we give an articulate reason why we choose courage anyhow? Can we give the reason for our hope? Are we able to speak about the mission that our lives are on that emboldens us to persevere through hardship? How do I overcome my natural inclinations to be a whiner or to be a low-risk, lazy person? How do I subject our fearful feelings to the reality of what Christ is inviting us to be and what Christ is inviting us to do? A youth pastor friend of mine in a previous community always reminded us and his students, the process is the purpose. The process is the purpose. And I love that. 
And I'll share that feedback with couples who are going through premarital wedding planning that when they run across obstacles and difficulties and hardships, there is purpose in the process. This is not uh, a means to an end that you are learning communication skills and conflict resolution and all sorts of things through this process. I'll share it with people who have recently lost loved ones and they're having to navigate the, the hardship of trying to find their footing after a, a loss. And there is purpose in the process that there is not a peace that comes on the other side, but a peace that we find throughout the journey. It's not some sort of special and isolated moment that God uses. It's all of the different steps along the way. And I think that means when we apply it to this situation, Jesus is helping his disciples figure out if you can't keep your cool with rough waters you're going to have a hard time keeping your cool with rough people. And they were on their way to meet face-to-face -face with the roughest of the rough. This possessed man did not need their offense or their indignation. He needed their help and compassion. And maybe a stormy sea is what it took for them to recognize that Jesus has their back no matter what they're about to face. We have an incredible mission ahead of it, and some of it involves awesome and wonderful people that you find cut out from magazines that feature good, clean-cut Christian families. Others involve folks that smell like hogs and look like they've been living among tombstones, like the man that Jesus sought to restore here. And when we encounter those moments, what's going to allow us to see those people as children of God, as worthy of dignity, as worth the trip across the stormy seas, as worthy of God's divine love. It's because Jesus is with us. He leads us out of pure love. And there are plenty of things to fear, but we don't let those things stop us from advancing God's mission because Jesus continues with us in love. The Holy Spirit encourages us and reminds us that we are God's beloved children. Fear doesn't get to grab the steering wheel. And our courage doesn't look like a, a halftime locker room pep talk either. Maybe it looks like radical love willing to take a risk for someone who does not yet know Christ's love. Maybe it looks like peace in our hearts that reflects a confident trust in God as we're traveling through whatever storm is part of our purposeful process. And because it's Father's Day, maybe it also looks like a nap. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, you've given us all sorts of reason to trust you. You have given us cause to know that whatever we face, you will not abandon us, you will not leave us, you are by our side. And Lord, help us to find purpose in the process. As we go about our day-to-day -day life, these are not just simple steps with a means to an end. This is a way that you are shaping us, forming us, causing us to become more like Christ and allowing us to know that that same love that shapes us is reaching out, calling out for those who don't yet know it. So Lord, help us to learn what we need to learn, to be who you are calling us to be. So that when we encounter those moments, when we encounter those missions that you have set before us, we won't recoil in fear. But God, instead, we will know that the, 
the same Lord who calls out to the wind and waves to cease and be still, may do that same thing for the storms around us, but may just do that same thing for the storms within us. However it is, Lord, that you calm our fearful hearts, we know that you love us, and your love calls us to go ahead in ministry, to move forward in mission, and to do so, maybe not without fear, but despite it. We thank you for the courage that you planted in us, the mission, and the grace. This we all pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.